When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jessica. Jessica, you have the gift to read scripture. You really do. Um, I believe that it is a gift um, to be able to read and convey the message in a, a certain way. And um, that scripture is intended to move us. And I think that is so important to understand that all scripture is intended to move us in some manner. And could you imagine hearing this story in scripture for the first time? Can you, can you imagine not knowing anything about Christianity whatsoever, the Old Testament or Judaism, any of that, and you're walking into the doors and you hear Jessica reading this scripture, this story for the first time? It's a strange story. It's a shocking story. You'd be like, oh my gosh, am I in the right place here? I gotta get out. It's one of those stories, right? Because I believe if I've heard that story for the first time and I've never encountered any of this stuff before, it sounds unbelievable. I'm like, well, you gotta tell me this again. What happened exactly? Wow, that is crazy. And I wanna, I wanna invite you into this passage, all right, today, in a way perhaps that you haven't experienced before. And I wanna do this because we've grown up hearing these scripture stories so much and we're so familiar with them that when we do hear them we're kind of like yeah okay i've heard that before in other words it's not moving us as it should move us and this scripture trust me is intended to move you so that's what we're going to do today we're going to we're going to um you ever hear what is that um i'd love to be a fly on the wall right okay well we're going to do that today we're going to be that fly on the wall we're going to imagine the situation and just with any story or something that's happened in history, 
Um, this has a context. There's something that happened before this situation. I just want to share that with you really quick. Because today's scripture passage occurs soon after Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And on the mountain, the three witnessed Jesus being transformed right in front of him. Can you believe that? What do I mean by transform? Well, the scripture say that Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. That's how white it became. Can you imagine just sitting around on top of this mountain and seeing this happen? This is just crazy. And then to add to that, Jesus is speaking with two other people, Elijah and Moses. This is a fantastical situation, so much that I want to stay on this mountain with you, Jesus, just like this forever. It's a mountaintop experience, but they couldn't stay on top of the mountain with Elijah and Moses, who were incidentally very significant figures in the Old Testament. Very important. That's who Jesus was talking to at that time. So you can imagine, wow, this would be so cool if we could just hang out like this forever. But they couldn't. They had to leave the mountain. They had to go back down to where life was occurring. Every single day, life. And on the way down from the mountain, Jesus tells Peter, he tells James and John, by the way, don't tell anyone about what just happened, what you just experienced until after the resurrection. Can you imagine the reaction to that? Are you serious? We can't, you know, hey, hey where'd you go with Jesus? I uh, can't talk about it. I won't talk about it. <laughs> How do you not share that experience with people? But they did. They, apparently they, they waited. They kept the secret until later. In our scripture today, it, it picks up immediately after these incidents. They're coming down from the mountain and they're looking to catch up with the other disciples. And it says that as Jesus, Peter, James, and John were approaching, they saw a crowd surrounding the other disciples and some scribes. And apparently they were arguing over something. See, this isn't just like picturing like that, a crowd over there just hanging out with nothing going on. As they're approaching, they look, wow, there's something going on over there that's pretty serious. I wonder what it is. So when they get there, they start approaching. The crowd notices Jesus, and they're like, and they all make the move over to him. So the crowd, now they disperse, and they come, and they surround Jesus. And so the question is put, what are you guys arguing about over there? It looks pretty serious. Something's going on. And rather than a disciple stepping forward and saying something, rather than a scribe stepping forward and saying something, at that point a father. A father comes forward and tells Jesus, he said, Jesus, my, my son has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And this spirit, it, it throws my son down to the ground. I don't know what to do. And it causes him to foam at the mouth. It's, it's a horrible sight. No boy should ever have to go through this. And he grinds his teeth. Well, dealing with this situation, I, I brought him to your disciples. And they were unable to cast the spirit out. And that's what your disciples and, your, and the scribes over there were arguing about. 
And I want you to imagine for a moment witnessing that argument take place. So we're moving back over there to that argument. Imagine the disciples being confused as to what just happened. We don't understand. We did exactly what Jesus told us to do. It's worked every other time. Why not now? Jesus gave power to do this. Nothing's working. And they start arguing. And you can picture the scribes joining in. He's like, I'll tell you what happened. There's no power in the name of your precious Jesus. He's not even anywhere to be found right now. That's why it didn't work. And you can imagine the arguments going back and forth. Perhaps this, perhaps that. Well, perhaps not. They have, perhaps you're following a false messiah. Perhaps that. So the argument's continuing. Now as you're picturing this very tense scene being played out, can you imagine the boy? Where, where is the boy? Where is he? Is he lying on the ground, helpless? Because it didn't work? Is he crying? How about the father? Can you imagine the father? Is the father just over there cradling his child? Perhaps saying, I've tried everything, my child, my son. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end, we're at the end of the rope here. What, what else is there? Even the disciples of this Jesus can't help. I'm so sorry. Can you feel, I want you to feel the heartache and desperation of the situation of the father. Can you feel his hope slipping away? How would you feel if that was your child? Your child in the situation is causing this argument going around above you right now. That's what they're arguing over. And do you get the sense that in all their arguing, they perhaps forgot that the boy and his dad were still there? We get distracted, don't we, all the time? Because when Jesus arrived, they're approaching this argument. It doesn't say that there was a group of people trying to comfort a father because his boy was being plagued by a spirit. That would have been nice to read. Can you imagine Jesus hearing this father explain the situation and emotions? What was Jesus feeling? What was welling up inside Jesus when he's seeing this broken-hearted man with this boy explaining what's going on? Think about that. And you can, you can feel Jesus' emotions come out when, when, when hearing, he's like, oh my gosh, you faithless generation. How much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with situations like this? Bring the boy to me. Let, I will take care of the Bring the boy to me. See, there's emotion in the story when you insert yourself in the story. And that's not the Jesus that we're used to hearing about, is it? Uh, a Jesus that is clearly disappointed and frustrated with the whole situation, just fed up. We don't picture Jesus that way. 
The culture that we live in pictures a very loving Jesus who just loves everything. It's all about love, 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 love. <laughs> right? But there's a rebuke here going on. We can't forget about this Jesus, this Jesus that gets upset with situations when we don't care for each other. We can't forget about that Jesus because everything is just love. Well, Jesus gets upset when we're not loving, right? When we get distracted. So I imagine Jesus being perhaps upset with both the disciples and the scribes who are arguing instead of focusing their efforts on something else. I imagine Jesus being disappointed in the crowd even. The crowd that gathered around all the arguing that was going on. Ooh, an argument. Let's gather around here. What's coming up next? This is awesome. We've never done that before. I remember being in school when I was younger and when there was like always a situation going on. Guess what? Boom, everyone gathers around and they get excited about that. Really? You're getting excited. We got excited about arguing and fighting and stuff like that. Who's going to win this one? There's an excitement, there's an adrenaline as long as I'm not involved in it, it's good. You drive by on the road, you wonder why the traffic is standing still, and then you see the accident. Ooh, I'm gonna slow down too and take a look, right? And then as you drive by, I can't believe everyone's slowing down and taking a look. You just did! <laughs> I just did, we all did. We get caught up in the wrong things, right? We get distracted. And he certainly was heartbroken for the father and his boy, wasn't he? So again, Jesus responds, you faithless, faithless generation. And I have to ask, I wonder if we are a faithless generation. A lot of times we like to remove ourselves. This was then, this is not now. Only when it's good is it applied to us, right? But no, I mean, I have to wonder that. I also wonder if we are plagued with the spirit of unbelief. We're going to look at that in a moment, but as we move into that, consider this. That the as the story moves forward, it states that when they brought the boy to Jesus, it says, when the spirit saw Jesus. Notice it doesn't say, when the boy saw Jesus. It says, when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. How does that make you feel? Can you picture that happening? Some of you may have experienced that happening. It's heartbreaking. What do you do? How does it make you feel, though, that Jesus, that the story says that the spirit, the spirit immediately convulsed the boy? Does it challenge you that the spirit threw the boy down to the ground? Again, I, I wonder if we are plagued with the spirit of unbelief, people. And I know it's very, very tempting for some of us to look at the scripture and give a medical condition for what was plaguing the boy. I've done it myself. You get out your clipboard when you're reading scripture and you gather the symptoms together. Loss of communication through being unable to speak. Check. Falling on the ground. Check number two. Convulsing. Check. Foaming at the mouth. Now we're getting somewhere. It sounds like something and grinding of the teeth, and then rigidness equals medical diagnosis. That's what's going on here. 
And then I'm reminded that in the world of the Bible, the material and the spirit world are one world, and it is my world that has divided the two. You ever consider that? See, this story is inviting you back into the world of the Bible, where it's not separate. There is a spirit world. There is a material world. We live in a world of evidence. We live in a world where we have answers in our pockets. You want an answer? Boom! There's the evidence. Okay, I believe. You're believing based on evidence. There are numerous Christian books out there that speak of evidence. Evidence. The evidence for Christianity. They're great books. I've read them. I think everyone should read them. But check this out. I have come to understand that um, whenever I, I, I hear evidence, it's always 50%, and then the other side is, they, they can make an argument against it. That equals 50%. It's never evidence that's 51%, and then 49% over here. It's always right down the middle, and you got to wonder why, because it's a faith. Evidence will only get you so far. Evidence might even get you to the foot of the cross. Evidence might even bring you to your knees. But what happens after that, evidence will only get you so far. You have to act upon faith. Eventually, it has to go from the head to the heart. Evidence. We live in a world of evidence. Where we trust the science. We trust the science more than scripture. Try this one on for science. The scientific community, which I, which I think is great. Okay? But they believe, um, they, their argument against us is that we believe in things that we can't see. We believe in invisible things that we can't prove. Okay? And we're like, okay, well, let me think about this for a second. You believe in black holes and dark matter. Can you see those things? No. What are they? We don't know. Are they invisible? Yes. Have you ever seen them? No. Do you believe in them? Absolutely. Do you see what's going on here? It turns out we're not the only ones believing in invisible things. Besides, we have the physical manifestation of this invisible God in the name of Jesus Christ. So consider those things. This is about faith. They work together. So I'm reminded that the worlds are divided. I'm also reminded that in the scriptures, Jesus is known in both the physical and the spiritual world of angels and spirit beings and, yes, demons. And going further still, I'm reminded that the Bible makes a very clear distinction between demon and sickness. A very clear distinction. Peter's mother-in-law is a good example. Um, his mother-in-law was sick with a fever, not a demon. A fever. And the scripture is very clear on that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 32, it states that they brought to Jesus those who were sick as well as those who were demon-possessed had spirits. So you can't make the argument that the Bible doesn't know the difference here. You can't make the argument that the Bible is dumb on this matter. It is not. There is a distinction. We're dumb on the matter. As much as we know, we are dumb on this matter. So how do you reconcile this scripture passage that attributes a spirit to what so clearly sounds like a long-standing medical condition? That's an argument right there. Well, have you ever considered that the notion that the spirit was causing the medical condition? I mean, that's a, that's a viable, that's a, an answer right there. A person can experience oppression that manifests itself in sickness. You can't deny that. That's proven. Why does it have to be either a spirit or a medical condition, people? 
Why not a spirit that causes the medical condition? Why do we have to live in an environment of either or? Either you do this or you do that. There's nothing. You can't do both. Either you believe this way or you believe that way. You can't ride the middle. That's so unhealthy. And it confines our belief and it limits us. We're not a limited people. Why can't it be a both and? We need to get back to a both and. Because even the church right now in America is arguing an either or statement. And you see it all over the place. You see it in politics. You see it all over. Either or. What happened to the both and? What happened to the discussion? What happened to coming together in agreement? What happened to the truth? Do we not care about the truth anymore? What happened to the truth? Even more so, it's not your truth. What happened to God's truth? They call that objective truth. It's a truth that exists whether you believe it or not. It's still true. That's God's truth. So important. Now, if you deny this was a spirit, I have to, I have to tell you, then why does it react the way it does when it sees Jesus? You have, you have to answer that question. I have rheumatoid arthritis. When I see certain people, my rheumatoid arthritis does not act that way. All right? I, apparently, I haven't met the right person yet <laughs> to cause that in me. You know, listen, you're stressing me out. But it, you know what I mean? You have to answer that question. Why does Jesus cast out the spirit rather than simply heal the boy of the sickness like he did with others, like he did with Peter's mother-in-law? And check this out. Consider this. When you deny this, a whole host of other things happen. You start pulling at that thread of doubt and unbelief. And everything comes unraveled. And it shows that if that, it's that easy to unravel your faith, really, based upon one story, all they had to do was pull the thread. You faithless generation. Starting to hear that now? But when you accept that this is a spirit, when you accept the scriptural story right here, you are much closer to living in the world as the Bible presents it. You're much closer to getting in touch with the world Jesus lived in. And that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to move you into the world of the Bible with this sermon today. So after Jesus sees what the spirit is doing to this boy, the father pleads with Jesus. We already went over that and you can feel it. He goes, if you're able to do anything, have pity on us. Us. Not my boy. Because when things like ha this happen, it affects the entire family. It affects your friends. It, it affects everyone that you're around with. It affects your work life. Everything. We do not go through life alone. And when we go through things like sickness and things like this, it does not just affect us. Let people care for you. Let others in. So he hears this. Jesus hears this father's plea. And he responds, if, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. I think that's a beatable statement right there. And a lot of times we look at that as Jesus criticizing this, this person for a lack of faith. Let's get to that in a second. Because I don't think Jesus is criticizing this father's faith here. Rather, I think he was reassuring this man's faith. I think Jesus fully understood 
all that, that this father and his, his boy and his family had gone through. And for Jesus, the fact that he came seeking him reveals his faith. You've got to see faith in the father. It's the lack of faith in the others. Remember the friends who brought the, the, um, the crippled, their crippled friend, lowered them through the roof? They brought him in faith. They didn't, have, they didn't wait to have faith until they got there. They brought him in faith. This man brought, this father brought his son in faith. He already had faith. And then after Jesus said this, the man cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Listen, we don't have to go too theologically deep into that. It's, all, it's a desperate plea. Hear the words. I do believe, but if there's anything else I need to do, Jesus, let me know and I will do it. It was, a, it was a saying of obedience. Just help me. If you want me to run five miles, I will do that. If you want me to stand on my head and ask you, I will do that. I will give up anything you ask me to give up. I will do this. Help me with my unbelief. Show me and I'll do it. And then Jesus said to the spirit in the boy, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And that is precisely what happened. That is a pretty tense story, if you ask me. It's, it's more tense than just reading through it, isn't it? When you walk through it and you put yourself in the story. But the story isn't quite over yet. It states that later on in private, the disciples asked Jesus why um, they were unable to cast the spirit out of the boy. And Jesus responds, it's kind of an odd statement, this kind can only come out only through prayer. And then the story ends. <laughs> That's an odd thing to say. It's odd because the story doesn't have Jesus praying anywhere in it. And yet he casts out this spirit. He, he just simply commanded the spirit to come out, and, and it did. Of course, he is God. He can do those things. But there's something else going on here. Because then I realized something. Jesus didn't pray, but I realized that Jesus lived a life of prayer. Jesus consistently withdrew from others to go and pray. He woke up early in the morning to pray. Chances are he prayed that morning. Chances are on his way down the mountain, he was praying. He was talking to God. A life of prayer, a life with God. And although Jesus isn't found praying during this situation, you can be sure that prayer was part of who Jesus was. It was his nature. Is it yours? Is it your nature to pray? Because and I'm saying that because what I get from Jesus' response is actually a tone of rebuke. So I want you to picture yourself asking Jesus, why couldn't I do this? Why was I unable to do this? And Jesus looks you dead in the eye. And he says, with this situation, it needs prayer. I'm praying, are you? You picture Jesus' eyes looking at his disciples saying that? Were they in the habit of prayer? because Jesus was in the habit of prayer? Or were they simply relying solely on their own strength and ability to, that point, you know, to, to the point you know, that they weren't praying? Something interesting about this passage is earlier on, Jesus sent these disciples out and he blessed them. He gave them the authority to cast out demons, do the very thing that they failed at, all right? To heal, to bring the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
to do all of those things. And they went out and they did them successfully. They were doing a great job. They were casting out demons. Now, if you asked me how my day was and I just had a day like that, I'd think I was pretty awesome. That's some ego-building stuff right there. But let me tell you about my day. Guess how many demons I cast out and how many people I healed. They were trusting in their own ability, weren't they? Developing egos. Perhaps they started feeling pretty good about themselves and started relying on themselves rather than going to God to strengthen their faith through prayer. And if so, if they weren't praying, if they start relying on their own ability and not going to God and saying, thank you for this ability, thank you for this, thank you for strengthening my faith, and they were lacking that. So guess what happens when they weren't praying? They didn't have the faith it took. They weren't strengthening the faith, and so they couldn't cast the spirit out of this boy. I'm praying, are you? That's what Jesus is saying here. Or are you just relying on your own ability? And so Jesus can say, you faithless generation. Have you been praying? You know, to close, this story is more than just how Jesus cast out the spirit that was plaguing this boy. At the heart of the story is the struggle between faith and unbelief. And we need to go to God with all things. I'm struggling at work. Go to God in prayer. Strengthen me in prayer. I need faith in this situation. I thought Jessica did a wonderful job with that children's message. Go to God. Go to God. Go to God in prayer. Strengthen me in my faith. Help me endure. Are you going to God in prayer? That's how important prayer is to the life of a Christian, to the life of a church, to the life of Christianity. You know, some, I'm going to confess to you right now that I struggle with, with you know, between faith and unbelief for, for a number of reasons. I'm sure you do too. Me being a pastor doesn't separate me from the rest. All right? I struggle with it. Some moments I feel like I have the faith that can move a mountain, while other moments I question everything about myself. I do. I go up and down with that. It's like a, I'm, a, I'm like schizophrenic sometimes. You know? You don't see those things. You know, but Evelyn does. And we talk it out, and I go to God in prayer. And when I'm going through those moments, those are the days, those are the moments I cry out to Jesus. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Tell me what to do here. So trust me when I tell you that Jesus is more okay with my doubt than I am. He's okay with it. In other words, he can handle it. He's God. The scripture can handle your questions. It's God's word. I just want you to know this. Just be honest with God and let him know, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Can we at least do that? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen.